Chapter 6 of Baseball How to Become a Player. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elise D. Baseball How to Become a Player by John Montgomery Ward. Chapter 6 The Second Baseman. Second base is the prettiest position to play of the entire infield. In the number of chances offered, it is next to first base, and in the character of the work to be done and the opportunities for brilliant play and the exercise of judgment, it is unsurpassed. It is true the second baseman has more territory to look after than any other infielder, but on account of the long distance he plays from the batter, he has more time in which to cover it. The last moment allowed a fielder to get in the way of a ball is worth the first two, because one will be consumed in getting under headway. Then, too, the distance of his throw to first is generally short, and this allows him to fumble a hit and still get the ball there on time, so that while much of his work is of a difficult kind, he is more compensated by certain other advantages and, so far as the percentage of chances accepted is concerned, he generally leads everyone except the first baseman. The position should have a man of at least average physical proportions. There are in every game a number of throws to second from all points of the field, and with a small man, there are many of them would be wild on account of his lack of height and reach. Moreover, a larger man offers a better mark to throw at, and the liability to throw wildly is decreased because of the increased confidence on the part of the throwers. Then, too, a small man is not able to stand the continual collisions with base runners, and as a number of his plays are attempts to retire runners from first, he grows timid after a while and allows many clever sliders to get away from him. On the other hand, the position requires a very active player, and, for this reason, too large a man would not be desirable on account of the large field he has to cover. He must possess the ability to run fast and to start and stop quickly. He must be able to stoop and recover himself while still running, and be able to throw a ball from any position. Not all his throws are of the short order. Sometimes he is expected to cut off a runner at third, or even return the ball to the catcher for the same purpose, and in these cases speed and accuracy are of the utmost importance. Because of the number and variety of plays that fall to his lot, he must be a man of some intelligence. With runners on the bases, the situations of a game change like the pictures in a kaleidoscope, so that there is not always time to consider what is the best play to make. There are times when he must decide with a wit so quick that it amounts to almost instinct, for the loss of a fraction of a second may be the loss of the opportunity, and that one play mean the ultimate defeat. The exact spot to play in order to best cover the position will be determined by the direction in which the batter is likely to hit, his fleetness, and by the situation of the game. If there are no runners on the bases, the consideration of the batter will alone determine. If he is a right field hitter, the second baseman will play more towards the first baseman, the entire infield moving around correspondingly. And, if he is a left-field hitter, he will play towards the second and back of the base, in either case playing back of the baseline from 15 to 50 feet, depending upon whether the batter is a very fleet or slow runner. If there are runners on the bases, this fact will have to be taken into consideration. For example, with a runner on the second, the baseman must play near enough to hold the runner on the base and not give him so much ground that he can steal third. 
Or if there is a runner on first and the baseman is himself going to cover the base in case of a steal, he must be near enough to get there in time to receive the catcher's throw. On the other hand, he must not play too close or he leaves too much open space between himself and the first baseman. And, though playing far enough away, he should not start for the base until he sees that a batter has not hit. It is not necessary that he be at the base waiting for the throw, but only that he make sure to meet it there. Pfeiffer of Chicago plays this point better than anyone, I think, and in all respects in handling a thrown ball, he is unexcelled. To catch a runner attempting to steal from first, most second basemen prefer to receive the ball a few feet to the side of the base nearest first and in front of the line. The first is all right because it allows the runner to be touched before getting too close to the base and avoids close decisions. But I question the policy of the baseman being in front of the line in every instance. From this position, it is extremely difficult to touch a runner who throws himself entirely out and back of the line, reaching for the base with only his hand. With a runner who is known to slide that way, I believe the baseman should stand back of the line. It demoralizes the runner when he looks up and finds the baseman in the path where he had expected to slide, and it forces him to go into the base in a way different from what he had intended and from that through which he is accustomed. The veteran Bob Ferguson always stood back of the line and more than once made shipwreck of my hopes when I might have evaded him if he had given me a chance to slide. The time taken in turning around and reaching for the runner is often just enough to lose the play, whereas, standing back of the line, this time is saved and, in addition, the baseman has the play and the runner's movements in front of him. With a runner on third and not more than one out, the batter may try to hit a ground ball to the infield, sacrificing himself but allowing the runner from third to score. To prevent this, infielders will generally play nearer the bat, so as to return the ball to the catcher in time to cut off the runner. And how closely they must play will depend, of course, upon the fleetness of the runner. Even then the ball may be hit so slowly or fielded in such a way as to make the play at the plate impossible, in which case the fielder will try to retire the batter at first. With runners on first and third, the one on first will often try to steal second, and, if the catcher throws down to catch him, the one on third goes for home. To meet this play on the part of the runners is by no means easy, but it can nevertheless be done. If the one run will not affect the general result of the game, it may be well to pay no attention to the runner from third and try only to put out the one from first, thus clearing the bases. But if it is necessary to prevent the run scoring, the second baseman must be prepared to return the ball to the catcher in case the runner starts for home. In order to gain as much time as possible, he should take as position to receive the catcher's throw 10 feet inside of the baseline, keeping one eye on the ball and the other on the runner at third. If he sees the runner start for home, he must meet the throw as quickly as possible and return the ball to the catcher. If the runner does not start, the baseman should step quickly backwards so that by the time the ball reaches him, he will be near enough to the baseline to touch the runner from first. The play is a difficult one and requires more than the ordinary amount of skill and practice. There is another and, I think, better way of making this play, which will be spoken of under the shortstop, because that player is principally interested. Before the enactment of the rule confining the coachers to a limited space, the coacher at third base sometimes played a sharp trick on the second baseman. When the catcher threw the ball, the coacher started down the baseline toward home, 
and the sack mid-baseman, seeing only imperfectly, mistook him for the runner and returned the ball quickly to the catcher. The result was that the runner from first trotted safely to second, the runner at third remained there, and everyone laughed except for the second baseman. In fielding ground hits, the second baseman, because of his being so far removed from the bat, has a better chance to judge a hit. He is able either to advance or recede a step or more to meet the ball on a high bound, and on account of the short throw to first, he may take more liberties with such a hit. It is not absolutely necessary that he field every ball cleanly because he may fumble a hit and still make his play. In general, however, he should meet a hit as quickly as possible so that if fumbled, he may have the greatest amount of time to recover and throw. He should also, if possible, get squarely in front of every hit, thus making his feet, legs, and body assist in stopping the ball in case it eludes his hands. When not possible to get directly in front of the ball, he must still try to stop it with both hands or with one, for he may then recover it in time to make the play. Having secured the ball, he should wait only long enough to steady himself before throwing. He should not hold the ball a moment longer than is necessary. In some cases, he has not time to straighten up before throwing, but he must snap the ball underhand, and where he gets the hit near enough to the base he should not throw at all, but to pitch the ball to the baseman. This makes the play much safer. When there is a runner on first and the ball is hit to the second baseman, he tries for a double play, and there are four ways in which it may be made. First, if he gets the ball before the runner from first reaches him, he may touch the runner and then throw to first base before the batter gets there. Second, if the runner from first stops so that he can't be touched, the baseman drives him back towards first as far as possible and throws there in time to put out the batter. The other runner, being then caught between the bases, is run down, completing the double. Third, if the hit is near enough to the base, he may touch second and then throw to first to head off the batter. And fourth, he may first pass the ball to the shortstop, who has covered second, and the latter throws to first in time to put out the batter. In nine cases out of ten, the last is the safest play. It makes sure of the runner to second and is more likely to catch the batter because the shortstop is in better shape to throw to first than the baseman would be if he attempted to make the play unassisted. The second baseman should take not only all fly hits in his own territory, but also all falling back of the first baseman and back of the shortstop toward center field. In all these cases, he gets a better view of the ball than either of the other players named because, instead of running backward, as they would be obliged to do, he runs to the side, and the catch is thus easier for him. If the hit is one which can be reached by an outfielder and the latter calls that he will take it, the second baseman will, of course, give way, because the fielder has the ball in front of him in a better position than even the baseman. With a runner on second, he must be on the lookout for the catcher's signal to the pitcher to throw to second, and, on seeing this, he must start at once for the base to receive the pitcher's throw. He must also watch for the catcher's sign to the second baseman notifying him of an intention to throw. And while the ball is passing from the pitcher to the catcher, get to the base to receive the throw. He should back up throws to the first baseman whenever possible, leaving his own base to be covered by the shortstop. He should assist the right and center fielders in the return of long hits, running well out into the field to receive the outfielder's throw. 
when plays arise other than those here mentioned his judgment must tell him what to do and without neglecting his own position he must not hesitate to take any part to advance his team's interests end of chapter six